out of it. That's right. Capturing the magic breath. Hey, what's up? It's not a It's a prison where I the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki and I got Captain Dave over here. Reporting for duty, we're going to explore one of life's little mysteries. Yes, yes, I think we are, except uh, maybe a little big mystery time. Uh, Well, uh, let it happen, Captain. I will tell you that uh, I'm a little disappointed that I can't wear my Krampus um, uh, horns and my headphone at the same time. I am highly disappointed by this. Um, so uh, they're like little goat horns on a beanie. So yeah, I, I saw that. So I felt like I was Krampus in the hood. Yes. Yeah. Actually, at home, I have uh, actually the full outfit. You have <laughs> an outfit for everything, Dave. Well, uh, you know, uh, the Yuletide has almost crested. And, uh, Almost. It, it, it is Yule. Happy Yule. It is Yule tonight. Uh, and everywhere, it's a known fact that Santa uses the telluric currents. He does. To guide his sleigh. Absolutely. And we're fortunate in Tuolumne County to have this confluence of the, those uh, currents. currents, yeah. And so our geomagnetism is just going into Overdraft. goodwill and... Uh, Happiness for all. That's right. No, happy Yule. It's it's Yule today. It's uh, the winter solstice. So happy Yule if you celebrate Yule. If you don't before, you'll you'll soon. (laughs) So to let you know uh, that the veil is thin right now. The veil is exceptionally thin. Uh, 
in the last two weeks, you and I both have had sightings. Yes, last week I saw a UFO here. My first Tuolumne County UFO. It's not a flatlander any longer. No, no. I saw, uh, after the show, I usually sit out on the, on the back porch for a couple minutes, kind of think about how the show went, whatever. I saw a light in the sky doing zigzags across the sky, something a satellite will not do. Yeah, now, now, you saw something, too. Yeah, so I'm driving the Murphys uh, because they serve great potato. The only place I know where they serve potato pancakes. Okay. I uh, wanted to do a little bit of Hanukkah thing. Absolutely. Now. So on Parrots Ferry Road, you get just before that bridge, it's open sky. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, you're kind of up on a hill, and you've got just blue skies everywhere. Then suddenly, out of the blue sky, uh, this thing lit up. And uh, there, uh, it, it wasn't a, it was shaped like a sideways egg, I guess. Okay. And it had like one little fin on the top of it, it looked wow. like or something. I mean, I saw it really clearly, but, and uh, I looked over it, I was driving with Juliet, and I said, Julieta, do you, do you see that? And, but when I looked back up, it's gone. Yeah, and so what I figured was it had driven so the sun had hit it just right. Right. So that it reflected from the sun hitting it. And then by that time, it had gone away and the sun wasn't hitting off it anymore. Two UFO sightings in one week. Yeah. Well, this was actually the week before last. We took one week off. Right. And, uh, yeah. So I know that it's the time of the year it is it is look to the sky people look to the sky <laughs> look to the sky look to the sky so i hear we're going to discuss some of uh the seasons uh weirdness legends myths and yeah you know it's the christmas show i've got some christmas tiki music lined up all right a really good one leon redbone oh okay and then i thought uh you know i was looking up some strange uh, Christmas traditions from around the world. And it kind of came to me, I was telling everybody about when I was a little boy that, you know, when I was very small, um, I actually didn't live in the United States. I lived in Southern Italy. And um, we lived off base. And so, <clears throat> you know, we were very much embedded in the culture. And uh, from <clears throat> basically zero to five years old, I lived there. And so every year after Christmas, uh, I would put my shoes outside the door and uh, I'd wake up the next morning and there'd be candy in them. And the story was about a Christmas witch whose child had died and uh, wanted to take that sadness and make kids all over Italy happy. And uh, so the Christmas witch would drive ride around in her donkey cart and she'd put candy in the shoes of the good children and then coal in the shoes of the bad kids. I've actually heard that story. Yeah, it's called La Pifana. So I thought, I was explaining this to some people, and I thought, you know, there's some other really interesting uh, Christmas traditions like Krampus in Austria. And I thought, you know, maybe we could get into a few of them. Now, I understand that you want to do a deep dive on the whole St. Nick thing. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, you should be interested because in Bari, 
in Italy, they have the uh, remains, some of the remains of uh, St. Nicholas there. So I am actually from a little town called uh, San Vito that's outside of Ostuni, which is outside of Bari. So Bari was a big, kind of our big city. And it, you know, it's a beautiful medieval port. Um, but yeah, I come from the Bari area. Hey, that stud was which so strong and so powerful that everybody wanted a piece of him after he died. Yeah, I did not realize that there were bits and pieces of, of uh, him scattered in Bari, worldwide, but in Bari specifically. Yeah, oh no, he had the big remains there. That's a synchronicity because I'm basically from Bari. And you know what was really weird is that uh, uh, in his original tomb uh, in in was well, now Turkey. Uh, there was a, that was the biggest smash and grab. It was during the, like the first crusade or something, but the. They would pour oil or water down. They'd had these holes in the, in the tomb, the sarcophagi, and uh, what seeped out the bottom, they'd collect. And it's supposed to have healing powers. Wow. And when the smash and grab happened and the remains were put over in Bari. Um, yeah, because Bari, just so people know, Bari is across the Adriatic Sea from Turkey and Albania and... Yeah, and this came from uh, Myra, which is a famous port, or ancient port city right. as well. And uh, uh, it started producing, the, they called it the myrrh, and it started producing myrrh all on its own, so they knew their bones were authentic. But if there were bones in all of St. Nick in all the places where they say there were, there'd be a lot more bones than a regular human. Yeah, I bet. Um, there's, That's always the case. There's fragments of him everywhere. Everyone had a piece of this guy. Uh, over in Ireland, sure. there's a supposedly relics. In Venice, uh, United States. But, uh, you know, uh, Bari's really not that stingy with their bones uh, because it was either this year or last year, they paraded him. Uh, Russia, the patron saint of Russia is Nicholas. Right. And uh, they paraded the bones around. And scientists have actually gone into those bones and checked them out. And they've reconstructed what uh, Nicholas uh, probably looked like. And? Well, um, he had his nose broken several times. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, he had like Bar this fights with Santa Claus. Uh, oh no, he uh, ended up in jail, All right, uh, well, brawling. Well, before you get to that, one other <laughs> thing I wanted to because you're just going to start going. So, one other thing I wanted to tell you. So tonight, I was over at the game room. Yes. Because on Thursdays they do bingo from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. and it's hilarious. It is so much fun. It is so hilarious. But yeah, check out bingo over at the game room every Thursday. 6 p.m. to Yes, they thought it was malignant, but they found out it was only B9. <laughs> B9. That's good, Dave. And uh, I talked to the guy, so I'm going to make him some tree cookies, our famous uh, Enigma Hour Bigfoot tree cookies, and I'm going to give him a bunch so that he can hand them out as bingo prizes. Well, that's so, great. Yeah, so if you want some Enigma Hour Weird Tuolumne Visitors Bureau Tree cookies, you want to win them. 
Uh, next week on Thursday, go to the game room. On Peaceful Bi- Valley Road Peaceful in Valley. Sonora. Bingo. You know, those tree cookies were so <laughs> popular. <laughs> yeah. So we were at the Bigfoot Festival, and we were doing Spin the Wheel. And uh, everybody, everybody said, uh, can I have a one of those tree cookies instead? They were blown through them. And then, yeah, and then this lady kept coming back, and I said, you know, uh, you got to give somebody else a chance, spin the wheel, and see what it comes up with. And she goes, "Well, I'll give you five dollars for one." <laughs> oh, I got I got offered twenty bucks for one. I had to say no; they're free. No, yeah. people were trying to steal them, and they were free. I know, isn't that funny? But anyway, they really were popular. Yeah. Yeah. So, so from now on, I'm going to make sure that Nate over there at the game room is going to be well supplied with Bigfoot tree cookies for prizes for bingo. And I was thinking about throwing in a maybe a cutting board or something else. We're twelve me visitors board. bureau cutting board. Yeah, huh? it's gonna be with the big, logo on it. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a big Bigfoot with the logo oh, on it. Yes, okay. we have a logo now. We are very close to having a website finally. <laughs> anyway, it also turns out that the game room is haunted, like super haunted, like lights turn on and off and whatever. So I'm talking to them about us. We'll have to pre-record it. Because uh, I have portable recording equipment. Because we have no way to get to, get it. You to the have station. all the ghost indicators. Yes, I have ghost indicators. <laughs> but uh, oh, he was actually giving away accursed items that he got from uh, what's a need needful things the the thrift store over by the reptile shop over off Mono Way. Yeah, they supplied supplied curse. It, they had a they had a vase that was cursed with good luck. I was like, okay, how's the curse of the good luck? Oh, yeah, that's something. That's something. But anyway, so they Needful Things was giving away some stuff. So I thought, you know, we're gonna we're gonna chip into because it's a lot of fun and everybody should go. Right. Yeah, I was hearing that they were doing a uh, showing movies there as well. Yeah, so I guess on Sundays they show movies. So I'm gonna talk to the two guys that do the movies and see if we can supply yeah, some. Yeah, it came from outer space or yeah, or or maybe Earth the, versus the flying, uh, the flying saucer. saucers. That's a the, good one. This island Earth. Yeah, some, I seen Forbidden Planet the other night for oh, yeah. uh, as a holiday movie. You know something interesting about Forbidden Planet? You know when my kids, I have a, a couple of kids, and when they were very little. I would watch like Forbidden Planet with them. I mean, you, you know, we're talking like, you know, three, four years old. They were fascinated by that movie. I mean, utterly fascinated, both of them. They, you know, especially when Robbie the Robot, first showing of Robbie the Robot. That's ever. right. That was his premier performance. Yeah. And Robbie would come on and they were just like transfixed for like the next two hours. So that that led him to stardom. It did, and Leslie Nielsen too. Great, great soundtrack <laughs> by the by the BBs using that. Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, the theremin. The theremin, yeah. Yeah. So that anyway. was a weird soundtrack. Not it wasn't it was. for everybody's taste. I loved it. I fit I the movie it. perfectly. Oh yeah. And Disney did the effects. Yeah, no. It was Animators phenomenal. from Disney did the effects. Oh, had Walter Pigeon and Francis. Had everybody. Yeah. But anyway, so they, it's it's haunted. So. I'm going to talk to them about us uh, doing a show over there. Yeah, and then see if we can't be the host for the uh, Flying Saucer movie. Yes, I'm going to see Do if Do a little Dave, Bob Wilkins thing. Dave, Dave can host the, the Flying Saucer night. <laughs> but I'm going to see if they, they'd be up for like occasionally having like a, 
you know, a flying saucer night or, you know, showing the, the outer space connection. It came from beyond Earth, you know, some of the really old stuff. Yeah. yeah. UFOs that has begun with Rod Serling. Great one. Anyway, so I just wanted to toss that in there before we do our deep dive on St. Nick. Right. And then look forward to the uh, sci-fi uh, night with uh, double features and uh, shorts. Yeah, and before, so I want to kind of pepper these in uh, when you're doing your thing. Well, hit, hit me, hit me. So wanna, Let it happen, Captain. I want to give, give me one. I want to hit you with a weird one. Hang All right. On. So I went on a website. It's called uh, YHA. I think it's some kind of tourist thing for Australia, but they had like eight strange. Where is it? Eight strange. Uh, she just shut your eyes and pull one out at random. No, no. There's a specific <laughs> one I want to do. It's it's eight, eight interesting things. Oh, here we go. This is it. So th- this is a favorite of mine. And like I said, I'll, I'll intersperse these as you you do your 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 uh, analysis of St. Nicholas. This is uh, 15 weird and wonderful Christmas traditions from around the world. This comes from Contiki.com. Number 14. Iceland has a scary Christmas myth about a Yule cat. <clears throat> okay, whilst the spiders, that's a, a thing from the Ukraine, have a sentimental spin, excuse the pun, Icelandic Christmas tradition is a little less so. Apparently, there's a terrifying Christmas cat who prowls the snow, then eats alive anyone who is not properly clothed to handle the, the harsh winter weather. Charming. In Iceland, families celebrate this by coming together to protect one another to ensure that nobody gets taken by the Christmas cat, a.k.a. AKA the Yule cat. Uh, It's meant to scare kids into good behavior, but frankly, we're just as freaked out as adults here in this world. Yeah, but, you know, one of the the remedy against the Yule cat was you had to uh, uh, give gifts of sweaters and coats to each other. So it was a gift-giving thing. Yeah, there, there, there are some really good ones in here. There's another one you were telling me about. This, co- this is the Mari Lid. Oh from yeah, Wales. No, that's right. I, I dig this one. Welsh, Welsh culture is ancient and steeped in superstition. I'm reading this, by the way. It's not surprising, therefore, the residents of South Wales enjoy parade, parading an undead horse around their villages to celebrate the happiest time of the year. In a while selling display dating back to probably Celtic times, the custom involves draping a white sheet over a pole with a horse skull attached and knocking on town folks' doors, no doubt giving them the fright of their lives. The party carrying the morbid effigy then sing to the residents who are supposed to sing back before relinquishing some food and drink. There is some debate about whether Mary Law translates into Holy Mary or Grey Mare, but either seems creepy to us. No, and the uh, it was a real horse's skull that they would use. I got a picture. And, and it's the, a horse's skull. And the jaw was articulated. So it was like a ventriloquist uh, horse skull. There, now, I, in addition, I heard that if you can't... So you either had to sing a song or that thing would quiz you, too. Uh, say the children would have to either recite their catechism or something or a poem or sing a song and uh, or somehow or another supposed to get punished if they couldn't do it. They were on the naughty list. Okay, one more before you do okay. your, your St. Nick thing. Kentucky Fried Christmas in Japan. 
Introducing the greatest Christmas marketing triumph since Coca-Cola popularized the fat, jolly, red-suited Santa Claus we all know and love. Until somewhat recently, Christmas wasn't a huge deal in Japan, but a ridiculously successful KFC ad campaign during the 1970s established a tradition of families tucking tucking into buckets of fried chicken on December 25th. In fact, holiday-themed Dirty Bird has become so popular around Japan that the restaurant reservations and specially packed delivery orders are placed months in advance. Dirty Bird is what they call it? (laughs) Yeah. And apparently they they put a bucket of fried chicken under the Christmas tree. Well, you know, I love the colonel. I was just trying to picture the colonel as a Santa-type character and just can't quite get there. It's the colonel with the little longer beard. Uh, Here, here's one, one more. Radish carving in Mexico. Each year in the Mexican city of Oaxaca, the days before Christmas are marked by an event known as the Night of the Radishes. Sadly, it's not a low-budget 80s horror movie, but instead a vegetable carving competition. Participants get remarkably creative with everything from nativity scenes to fantastical monsters on display as thousands of visitors descend on the city to witness the fun. The radishes in question are grown specially and pumped with chemicals to grow immense. But it all seems quite futile as the carvings can only be displayed for a few hours before the fragile uh, vegetables wither away. Yeah, but it's like... uh carving bonsai or something. It's like a little miniature. I've seen they make entire tableaus, and some of those little beasts are so fantastical. And uh, they made one with all the girls, Yeah. and I thought it looked, uh, that girl looked radishing. <laughs> You're on a roll. Okay, here, here's another one. Spider webs. The Ukrainians have a different approach to Christmas decorations, swapping fairy lights for spider webs. The legend of the Christmas spider explains that a poor widow and her kids once... Black? A brown recluse. (laughs) Don't talk to me about brown recluse. I got bit by one. Uh, Cultivated a Christmas tree from a pine cone, but they couldn't afford any decorations. Then on Christmas morning, they woke up to see their tree blanketed in cobwebs, which sunlight then transformed into gold and silver. Nowadays, trees across Ukraine... Are decorated with little spider ornaments called pachuki and fake spider webs, which are said to be the origin of the sparkly tinsel that shimmers at Christmas time around the world. All right, pachuki, slow riding. The Christmas lads. You know, I will tell you. Oh yeah, the Yule lads. They're the Yule lads. Um, about what was that last one that you? The just spider did? webs. Oh yeah, the spider. So it was the. Uh, Garden of Eden bush, the Adam and Eve bush. Right. And they would hang apples on it and then snakes. Okay. And uh, uh, so it was called the Adam and Eve bush, which uh, kind of became the Christmas tree. Okay, Dave, thanks. Icelandic kids don't just get one Santa Claus. I'm changing the subject. Oh, oh, did you know that the reason... I, I just want to tell the kids out there not to eat too many Christmas decorations. Okay. Because they may get tinselitis. <laughs> You're on a roll, Dave. All right. Icelandic kids don't get just one Santa Claus. They get 13 mischievous, mischievous trolls roaming the country in the fortnight the week before uh, Christmas. Like Snow White's seven dwarves, each of the 13 Yulisvir 
Yule Lads, has their own personality, including Doorway Sniffer, Spoon Licker, Sausage Swiper, Candle Stealer, Curd Cobbler, Curd Gobbler, and the ominously named Window Peeper. Each takes a turn visiting children who leave shoes in their bedroom window, dropping off presents for good kids and depositing rotting potatoes for bad bad ones. Yeah, well, this said, is my favorite. The socks will grow potatoes. Yeah, make sure kids, when you go to hang your stockings by the chimney with care, wash them first. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> this is my favorite one. This one's kind of gross. All right. For some, and again, this comes from YHA.com. For some inexplicable reason, Catalans from Catalonia in Spain observe not one but two excrement-based Christmas traditions designed to put a smile on everyone's faces. The first is the Caganer, roughly meaning the pooper, a figure of a pantless, pantless peasant laying a cable that snuck into the nativity scene alongside Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The second is the cagatillo, or the pooping log, <clears throat> which is a small stick with a grin on its face that lives on the dinner table in December. After being kept warm, the blanket is uh, with a blanket and fed every day with nuts and sweets. It gets beaten with sticks on Christmas Eve to poop out presents. In reality, the kids stick out to pray for presents while relatives uh, pop the gifts under the blanket. You know, I, I remember growing up and there was a cartoon that had the Christmas poop. A little Santa hat. Do you remember that? What cartoon no, show was that? I don't know what you were watching, Dave, <laughs> but I didn't watch that one. <laughs> okay, this is, the last, this is the last one of the first set. Don't worry, I got right. plenty more. He's got a million of them, folks. La Bafana. Okay, the La Bafana. The La Bafana. Italian Christmases are celebrated with a wine-weeking wine drinking witch and no we don't mean the alcoholic auntie from the from the dodgy side of the family 12 days after santa's visit on the eve of epiphany january 5th families across italy leave out a glass of wine and a plate of sausages for la bafana who pops down the chimney on her broomstick according to folklore the old lady knocked back an invitation with the three wise men to witness the birth of christ and was so devastated by missing it she spends every Christmas gliding around the country uh, searching for the blessed barn, though we're not sure why she thinks she'll find it in Italy. Conveniently, she also finds time to be in charge of doling out presents to good kids and coal for naughty ones. Again, this is the one where you leave your shoes outside and she puts candy in them. Yeah, well, you know, the whole thing about coming down chimneys, uh, yeah. that's... Uh, so spirits can't walk through walls. They have to do a chimney. That was a paper. Or an open window. You also have to invite them in. Oh, well, by leaving a glass of wine. You and play the sausages in your, your shoes. Yeah. You, uh, with spirits, if, you know, if you're that, that inclined, in order for a spirit to enter your If your house isn't haunted, the notion of a haunting is the spirit just lives in your house. But it, an entity... This would be more like an entity. An entity to enter your house has to be invited. Yeah, entity to directly enmity. So you're just going, Dave. Uh yeah, well I I'm uh, gonna go to the break. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. All I right. was just thinking of the uh the socks and the shoes about leaving it. Now I heard a slightly different story. Uh, but it takes a little while to get there. 
Okay, well, I'm going to let you tell your stories now. Well, I'll tell part of it, and then we'll go back to that. Scene one, I guess, or something like no, that. No, no, do the St. Nick thing. All right, so uh, so this is a place, you know, the uh, it took place in Lycia, and the name of the place was uh, Patara. And I hear they make a good broccoli cheese soup, too. No, that's Panera. That's Panera. So it was a real famous port city. And it was real valuable because the, uh, both the Greeks and the Romans used it. And Paul, uh, Paul on his third missionary trip, uh, cruised through there. And um, uh, by the third century, actually, uh, there was a going little Christian community there. Okay. So uh, there was this couple there that were very, very successful merchants. You know, I mean, there, it was like the grain shipping capital of the world. Okay. And so uh, uh, in this environment, they had influences from all over the world. So uh, these are like this well-educated, uh, democratic town with this, uh, um, everybody did pretty good, or this couple did. Okay. So they ended, They had one child, and the child was, uh, they named him Nicholas. And so you know what Nicholas means? No. Victory to the people. Really? I never knew that. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, unfortunately, um, it's just not grain going through them ports. I mean, ports just aren't, vectors for commodities and ideas, but they're also diseases as well. Correct. So the parents catch some kind of, there's an epidemic go through there, and both his uh, parents die. Okay. And he's, uh, he's the only kid. So by this time, he's like teenager, you know, and stuff. So he went to stay with his uncle. His uncle was actually a priest uh, in the early church. So Nicholas had this big inheritance, had all this money. And uh, so what he did was just sold off all the assets. And then in the middle of the night, uh, he would go around and leave little gifts of, uh, to people. And he, he'd hit the homeless, the, um, the orphans, the widows. And the most famous probably of the stories that's come down through the centuries, oh. and I'm sure you even heard this story before. So there was this guy and he was out of luck. His wife had died. Maybe he had some kind of injury, got in an accident, his fortunes went bad, the stock market crashed, whatever, right? right. He turned out destitute. <laughs> Well, he had three daughters, but he couldn't afford to keep the daughters, and he couldn't marry them off because... Uh, he had um, the money. Yeah, you have to have the dowry to right. lead the money. So uh, Nicholas caught wind of that, and in the middle of the night, he came, and, uh, I, you know, I hate to tell you, back in Turkey and in these houses, there weren't no chimneys. Right. He threw it through the window. <laughs> <laughs> Tied it to a rock, tossed it through the window. Yeah. No, on the second attempt, so there were three daughters, right? Right. So he had to leave three packets of money, 
and he did uh, success, uh, succession. And uh, <coughs> I hear when, when he caught a shoe on the second one. I think the, uh, uh, the poor guy, uh, the first one that got on his head, got smacked with the money. But so on the third one, uh, you know, he knew this money was coming probably, so he, like, set a trap just to make sure, you know, he sat there <laughs> by the door. Okay. And uh, so when the money came in through the window. Talk about a gift horse in the mouth. And he, well, he wanted to see who his benefactor was. Sure. Nobody knew. There was like the secret Santa that was coming uh, every night, bringing uh, good cheer uh, every night. Nobody knew who this person was. And cash, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but I think he'd maybe leave other things too, like all of a sudden the, uh, homeless guy woke up and there was like a tent next to him or something. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, he was helping out. Yeah. So uh, he catches the guy, his young Nicholas. And uh, he says, man, don't tell nobody. Don't tell nobody this. You know, I'm doing this in secret. Right. Uh, it's kind of like what the clampers do, right? Right. But unfortunately... I mean, the guy promised that he would keep it a secret. Yeah, but they never do. Well, yeah, why do we know about it? <laughs> so he obviously didn't keep it a secret, right? So, uh, so what we're doing right now is talking about this guy. You, you've seen your Gandalfs. You've seen your Merlins. You've seen your Dumbledores. Well, this guy just tore all them uh, other guys to shreds. All right, so now he's without... So this, is, this was a rich kid that was well-educated. Right. And uh, now he's just giving all his money away. Right. Um, so his uncle goes, hey, uh, join the priesthood, man. It's a place to be. So uh, he becomes a priest. Okay. But then he's got to go on his journey. So he's going to go to a place where nobody knows him. And he's like a beggar at this point. He's giving everything away, right? Right. So he goes on down the road to the neighboring community, Myra. And it's the same sort of deal. It's a port town. You know, it's a pretty famous town. But by the time he had done this, see, the Romans left Lycia alone because uh, they. it was to their... Profit to do yeah, so. It was making money. They were collecting taxes. Right. So, but in other places in the Roman kingdom, they were coming down hard on Christians. Pagans, oh, yeah. uh, pagans thought that was some kind of uh, a cult. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they fed them to lions. And right. So, but all they, kind of badness. But they left Lycia alone uh, because uh, it says, well, you know, they're. They got it together over there. We don't want them to close down their port on us or, you know, we're, we're getting to it. So they kind of left them people alone there for a while. But no, this uh, one guy, uh, what was it, Nicodemus? The yeah. Emperor Nicodemus. I mean, he comes down from uh, ancient times. Everybody knows that name, right? Right. And uh, he's really persecuting. So they had a bishop in Myra. And uh, he got martyred. 
Yeah, it's just uh, he lost his life for his faith. So they're sitting around in the church, and they're saying, well, we got to have a bishop for the church. Because, the okay, they had a local Roman governor. But the reality of it was is traditionally the uh, bishop not only took care of the people's spiritual life, but also the civic life as well, you know. So all the other clerics are arguing, we got to have somebody to be a bishop. Right. But they're martyring these people. Yeah, not, Nobody wants to take the job, right? Yeah. That's, that's the contest you don't want to win. <laughs> right. You either got to run away or get jailed or um, get martyred right. uh, or, or renounce. Yeah. You know? so, so nobody wants this job, right? So uh, what they finally decided is, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll wait, and uh, the first priest to show up in the morning to our church becomes bishop. Becomes the bishop. Nice. And guess who walks through the door? Nicholas. Nicholas. As <laughs> a poor innocent kid, don't know what's going on. <coughs> right. <coughs> But he's got ambition, like Luke Skywalker or something, right? Right. So he takes the job, and he's doing a great job uh, there at first, you know? But guess what happens? Well, they caught him. Yeah, the emperor comes in, and um, uh, he gets thrown in jail. So he ends up in jail. Just, uh, And I think that's the, one of the first times he uh, got his nose broken. Oh, yeah, you said he got his nose broken three times. Well, I don't know. Everything comes in threes. That's a guess three times. But the person, the forensic lady that was reconstructing the face yeah. said it had been broken at least like three times. Wow. It was in every direction. So uh, they probably beat and tortured him. I'm sure. Okay. Well, then a few years later, guess what? Constantine becomes the emperor. And, uh, no, I think before that, they, they, uh, the emperor right before that said freedom of religion. Uh, uh, did um, uh, Saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what religion you practice. Right. So he gets let out of jail. And then Con when Constantine becomes, I think that was in 313. Okay. And uh, then when Constantine becomes the emperor, well, he converts. He becomes yeah, he's a Christian. First. Christian emperor. Right. So uh, the Romans start funneling money, and Nicholas gets let out of jail. Okay. Okay, so he's the bishop of uh, Myra. It's real uh, strange because him and Constantine become buddy friends, uh, and it's a, a weird road uh, that gets there. So uh, I guess we're at the point where we're going to start talking about this guy's uh, miracles. Sounds like it. All right. So let's see. Here's the, how did uh, uh, Constantine, okay, the first time Constantine and Nicholas got together, it was kind of a strange little thing, uh, is that these ships came in the port and sailors, uh, when they come in the port, what do they call that when they get land? Uh, shore leave. Shore leave, okay. Well, these puppies... These guys got rowdy. 
Yeah, they still do. And okay, they just tore everything up, stole a bunch of stuff, you know, or just like drinking, just took free advantage of everything. So, uh, but when they went to get on the ship, back on the ship, people running the ship line, they had money, right? Right. So they uh, bribed the governor, uh, the Roman governor, uh, to say, hey, it's, uh, it's all right, uh, all right, you know, like paying them off. Right. But uh, so the Roman governor accused these three innocents of... Uh, all this pilfering and Right, right. So, but at that time, there were these other people there. There was like these army officers of Constantine's that went down there for some reason, maybe to quell the riot or something. I'm not sure of that. But he had, so what I'm trying to set up is that Nicholas had these witnesses that happened there when this thing happened. So, I mean, these these guys, it was three. These three innocents. Uh, yeah, and then the three happened like three times, and that makes nine, and so exactly. it's all mystical and weird. But uh, these are the facts as we know it. Right. And <laughs> so these guys are on the chopping block. I mean, that executioner has that axe raised in the air, and all of a sudden uh, Nicholas shows up, grabs that sword out that guy's hand, and throws it on the ground, and then just stares at that governor, okay? Yeah. And uh, they had this big confrontation, and uh, I don't know, uh, the governor mouse off something to Nicholas, and he says, you know what? I'll take you to Constantine. Uh, how you run this government when we know you're bribed, you're profiting, you knew these people were innocent. Right. You know, and the governor backed down. And then Constantine got word of that, see? Right. And so uh, and then the same thing happens again, and then there was a dream. It was kind of a repeat of the first scene. But uh, Constantine and Nicholas get um, together. Okay. Uh, and... Nicholas was such a smooth talker that he taught Constantine into lowering the tax rate for his people in Lycia until the tax rate was like hardly nothing at all. Wow. And then uh, had him sign a paper uh, doing it. So then uh, Nicholas went on his way. That's how powerful and persuasive and it's always for the people, this guy, Nicholas. Always for the people. He's watching that, out for the people. That's pretty powerful and persuasive, okay. I'll tell you. But when he's going away, the next day, the emperor's thinking, man, I think I was just a little bit too generous. That was like a ridiculous tax rate. I'm going to have to renegotiate this thing. I don't know. This guy just has this power. <laughs> and, uh, so he calls Nicholas back. Right. But in the meantime, the first thing Nicholas did when he got out that door, he went down to the waterfront and threw that, uh, the roll with the, the, scroll, yeah. Yeah, the scroll into the water. And so uh, when the uh, emperor calls him back, 
Uh, he says, man, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have. He says, you know, we signed this contract. I think maybe we should renegotiate. He goes, man, I'm sorry, Constantine, but uh, I don't have that contract anymore. I threw it in the sea. Okay. And uh, Constantine goes, well, I guess that took care of the problem, I guess. And, but when, by the time uh, Nicholas got back to uh, Myra, Right. Some fishermen had dredged it up, okay. <laughs> and so it was binding, okay? But I will tell you, this is jumping the gun a little bit, but um, uh, Nicholas was actually uh, part of the first economical ca uh, council uh, in Nicene when they did the Nicene Creed. Right. But that's jumping the gun a little bit. Let, let's get back to the... Uh, Story. Yeah, the Council of Nicaea, that's a whole nother... Yeah, but he was there. I'm sure. And he uh, he got real notoriety, uh, uh, became notorious, because he got into, what was that cat's name? Arius. Okay. The A A Arians. Oh, right. And they're fighting over, you know, the divinity of Christ is really what was at stake at that point in this conversation. Right. And... Uh, now there's different stories. The the earliest record is says uh, um, Nicholas sissy slapped Arius. <laughs> okay. All right, just kind of slapped him around a little bit, straightened them out. Yeah. Now uh, as legend grew, that was the earliest documents that they had, which was actually based on a book that was called the the life of uh, Nicholas. But that doesn't exist anymore. Right. But it was documents based on that original book. And he actually got into trouble. Nicholas got into trouble about that. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, that's the passion this guy had. Later, once he says, man, he just laid it into and just punched him one. But no, it was an open hand slap. Just slapped that guy silly. And uh, come to find out Nicholas was right. So... He didn't take no BS, this guy, right? Right. He's always fighting for the people. All right, let's see what... I, okay, did you know that the reason why Nicholas um, is everywhere in the world? No. I mean, he's the patron saint of Russia, uh, oh, Greece, yeah. Italy. Sure. Um, he's the patron saint of he's very, seafarers. He's very popular. Children. Um, uh, Ex-prisoners, okay. prisoners. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on. I mean, weavers, and uh, it, it, it's just the list is forever. But I think the reason why that is, did you know at the space station, the International Space Station, okay. they have Nicholas is on board there. They have a little icon of Nicholas. Oh, really? In the space station. I did not know. Every that. ship that goes out into the sea has a has a has icon. a Nicholas on I'm it. Patron saint of seafarers. That's right, and so I'm going to tell you the story about how. Now we're getting into the mystical. Well, stuff. I'll, I'll tell you what. Okay. Why don't we take an early break so right. you can just cut loose? All right. Okay, so we're going to take. A Sorry, shot. I'm stumbling over everything, but the, no, you're doing I'm good. getting enthused about get, uh, he, this guy. What you can't see is he's just shaking with enthusiasm. Well, no, I mean this. So you got to picture this guy. I mean, he's got the beard. 
Right. He's got the robe. He's got the staff. Yeah, the and he's like Gandalf the White, man. And, no, he, and he's, he's not afraid to uh, slap people around. Right. Use that power that yeah. he has. And then we'll get into some of the mystical. Yeah, miracles. I want to hear the mystical stuff. Okay. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna play some uh, Christmas tiki music. How do you like to spend Christmas? like to spend a holiday away across the sea how do you like to spend christmas on christmas island how do you like to hang your stocking on a great big coconut tree how do you like to stay up late like the islanders do Wait for Santa to sail in with your presents in a canoe. If you ever spend Christmas on Christmas Island, you will never stray for every day your Christmas dreams come true. Thank you. 
Tiki and Captain Dave. Dave? Yes, let it happen, Captain. Well, I just, uh, I'm going to be stealing off your playlist. Uh, you just have some <laughs> great stuff. Yeah, I try to mix it up. You know, and we're going to have to start taking a recorder outside during break because <laughs> we get into deeper discussions outside than uh, we do uh, over the air. air. Well, you're listening to the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki and Captain Dave. Uh, On KAADLP 103.5 FM, Sonora. All right. Okay, so you got this whole thing lined up. So let's so lay it on me, man. Well, I thought we were going to do, uh, do you have another? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Hold on. I do, I do. Let me pick something good. 
So these are myths and legends of the Yule Tide, because the Yule Tide has crested, or nearly so. Yes. So there is the Norwegian Christmas goat. Uh, let's see. So <clears throat> apparently in Norway they have a Christmas goat. Uh, nowadays the goat's most commonly depicted as a little Christmas ornament made of straw and tied with red ribbon, which is common with the, uh, the horses as well. However, in the town of Gavli, Sweden, a gigantic straw goat statue is erected every year in the square about a month before Christmas. Cute, right? Except for the fact that it gets burned down pretty much every year. Yes, part of the of the townspeople take on this Christmas tradition is to see how long the goat lasts before local vandals try to destroy it. So far, it's suffered 35 tragic deaths. And of course, there's Christmas USA. Yes, you heard that right. It's always a holly jolly time in the town of Christmas in Florida, not far from Atlanta. I'm sorry, Orlando. Uh, plenty of tourists flock to get their holiday cards and letters stamped at the post office because who wouldn't want a postmark to read Christmas, Florida? Unsurprisingly, the street names are Christmas-themed, too. Look out for Bethlehem, Comet Street, Cupid Avenue, and, of course, St. Nicholas Avenue. To top it off, uh, it's the town's American Christmas tradition to display a decorated evergreen Christmas tree year-round. In fact, the USA... Uh, has a thing for weird and wonderful Christmas trees, uh, including a giant tumbleweed Christmas tree in Arizona. You know, they're off of Highway 9, like in the Santa Cruz Mountains or something. There was a little town. It was like a Christmas town, but they actually had a post office. Like you could actually have your postage stamped there. And I'm trying to think, was it called Santa Claus? There is a Santa Claus USA as well. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, whole villages enter the Christmas lottery in Spain. On the 22nd of December, you'll find that the Spanish never venture far from TV or radio as this is the day that the Christmas lottery is drawn. Basically, everyone in Spain buys a ticket, hoping to win El Gordo, the fat one. Sometimes whole families <laughs> and villages enter together, meaning that groups of people in the same area can become filthy rich overnight. The prize is usually in the billions, with the top prize usually around 600 million euros, which is about $700,000. And then, uh, here's a good one. So, so wait a minute, is it like a lottery? Yeah, it's a lottery. So everybody pulls their money together yeah. and bets on B9? Yeah, on B9, right. Uh, bagpiping, bagpipe playing shepherds perform in squares in Italy. This beautiful country is home to one of the quirkiest Christmas traditions of all. Now, what country is this? Italy. Okay. In southern Italy, and in Rome in particular, you'll find shepherds playing the, playing the bagpipes. In Italy. In Italy. <laughs> Usually performing in Paris, these legends break out the tunes in squares and piazzas across the re all regions. All the while, everyone goes about their festive business. Dressed in traditional sheepskins and wool cloaks, they do this in honor of the traditional shepherds of the nativity, and it's quite a spectacle. Taking in talking of tunes, visitors will also be able to hear church bells ringing out on Christmas Eve across the country to mark Jesus' birth, Juan Natale. Wow. I, I don't know why that reminds me of Brazil. You know, there's nothing that even resembles a Christmas tree in Brazil, but uh, Christmas trees are really big in Brazil. The tallest Christmas tree in the world 
is the one in Rio de Janeiro, but it's fake. It's a fake tree. And uh, they really take Christmas seriously. But over there, it's like in the 90s, yeah. <laughs> during, during Christmas time. You know, the, uh, uh, the big song over there is Silent Night. Um, and you can imagine what that sounds like, samba style. Yeah, that'd uh, be a little weird. <laughs> yes. I love, isn't this just the greatest time of the year? You know, uh, it is. It's a lot of fun. And I think one of the things that makes it a lot of fun is that everybody gets into it. Yeah, no matter where you are. Yeah, you know, whether you're into Yule or Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, you know, whatever you're into, everybody just gets festive. Right, it's the solstice. Yeah, and and I think it's the universality of it. Like and, I said. You know, they actually, in the ancient days, they used to uh, build like these stone hedgy kind of things to mark the thing. And in a lot of cultures, they had like these caves and they were like, the burials, the people's right. tombs. And uh, since um, the winter solstice, uh, the sun would shine into the tomb oh, right. only on that day. Right. You know, so that's even to give uh, a kick to even the, the departed. Yeah, I just, I, I just like the universality of the festiveness. No matter what you are, you know, what you believe in, whether it's Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or... Christmas or Yule, it, it all activates around the same time. You know, it's just, it's, it just makes everybody festive. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about Nicholas. Yes. Uh, victory to the people. Right. Okay. And this guy, uh, he had his uh, wizard staff and his long white beard. Uh, this guy was, uh, to me, to the greatest seen. wizard of all. Uh, to me, and he was a real guy, too. Right. Not, uh, not a fictional character. Okay, here's, here's one that, that maybe borders on the miraculous. I'll get to the real uh, miraculous ones coming up here. But uh, so he's, there's a famine. So okay. he's bishop of Myra. Of, uh, Myra. Got it. Okay, and that's a big port city, real populous place. Right. Okay, famine. And he's a super popular guy at this point. Yeah, he is. Everybody just digs this dude. He's got a reputation. Right. All right? So uh, a powerful man for the people. Right. I mean, he's a man of the people. Everybody loves him. So there's a famine. Crops failed. Well, this is a shipping port. Grain coming in and out all the time. So these, uh, the ship goes in, it's just laden with grain. And the, guy, the captain of the ship goes, hey, this is going to Egypt. He says, and I got to account for it all. Because uh, uh, Nicholas is trying to convince them to drop some off there. Right. You know? And he says, I can't do that. And he says, listen, son, don't worry about it. Uh, everything's going to work out. Sell me some. Well, you're right. By this time, Nicholas already had a reputation. He goes, well, you know, maybe, I don't know. I'll go ahead and do it. So he sells Nicholas some grain. Okay. And what the miracle part about it was is that uh, even though it, uh, Nicholas somehow or another got enough grain to get these people going for two years, his people going wow. for two years, and still have enough grain left over to plant. Okay. Uh, but when lot. the captain of the ship arrives in Egypt to drop off his uh, shipment, nothing's missing. Nothing's missing. 
That would be miraculous. Yeah, so that's, that's the beginning of his, I mean, by this time, this guy's really steeped in uh, the, the spiritual and the divine, right? Right. I mean, he's in touch. The force is strong in this one. <laughs> okay, right. now, why is uh, he the patron uh, saint of travelers? And then back in those, that, those days, I meant shipping, right. sailors. Okay, so the, these people are cruising in the Mediterranean, and they're heading for one of these ports. They're heading for Myra, either Myra or Patara, whichever one they can make. And a big storm comes up. And I mean, it's like... It's bad. It's bad. It's throwing that boat every which way. Okay. And nobody can make it to the helm. The helmsman gets uh, swept overboard. Oh, wow. And the sailors are just getting tossed around so much, nobody can make it over there to the helm. So the ship is out of control. The ship is out of control in the middle of a big storm. Okay. And all of a sudden... Uh, the sailors, out of all the blurry sheets of uh, water, sees this guy go up to the helm and just take command wow. and writes the ship. And as soon as the ship's out of danger, you know, and the waste, uh, the, the water kind of clears up a little bit, going over everybody's faces yeah. and stuff, the ship is saved. Okay, and then the sailors, I'll start talking, who was that at that helm? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't so they all decided the whole crew. It was no one on that crew that did that. Okay. Okay. So right away they think, man, there's some kind of miracle here. Right. So when they finally make it in the port, they make it in the Myra. Well, the first thing they want to do is go to the local church to uh, give thanks for surviving, uh, for surviving the thing. And they walk into that church. It happens to be uh, Nicholas's church. And one sailor says the other, I'm, says, I'm telling you, that's the guy. That I saw. Yeah, uh, taking control over the helm. Wow. So that's the miracle, huh? That's, okay, so that's the second miracle. You need three to be a saint. Okay, this one, uh, I've heard different versions of this story. And I'm just going to tell you the way it is. He's also the patron saint of children. Okay. Okay. Now, how did that happen? Well, when, when the famine hit, uh, there was no livestock. There was nothing. So there was this, uh, uh, what, what do they call that uh, show? He was the barber. And he would sell the uh, his uh, clients as uh, pickled herring or something. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, the the barber of somebody, Sweeney Todd. Oh, Sweeney Todd. Okay. Right, and there was some kind of famine going on there. That was in England, right? Yeah. yeah. And he would uh, bring in people for a shave and a haircut and slit their throats and Processing. make potted meat out of it. Okay, okay, I know what you're talking about. All right. So there's a famine stick, Lycia, and this guy comes up with the evil plan is to get children and pickle them and sell them as ham. That's truly awful. That is truly awful. All right, yeah. So it's uh, starting off on an awful thing. 
And so uh, all of a sudden, he's going to do these kids in. Now, there's different versions of the story, but all of a sudden, Nicholas appears, right? Now, in one version of the story that I heard is he had just started putting them in the bubbling pot. And uh, uh, Nicholas reversed the situation, put the guy in the pot. But another version I heard that the kids were already beheaded and in the pickle jars. Okay. And Nicholas revived them. And uh, um, saved the children. So he saves the children. So if you notice this, so when he saved the three innocents that were convict, wrong, wrongly convicted of a murder, right. saved them from the uh, executioner, right. there was three of them. So when he gave the bags of money to the... There was three of them. There was three uh, girls, right. And then now, this one, there was three children. Okay. And, um, and you'll see pictures, when you see the pictures of um, Nicholas, you'll always see him with three balls. Okay. And then his staff. And sometimes the staff has uh, curls around, has like a ship okay. on it. So all the, all, uh, he became the patron saint of seafarers and of children and of uh, widows, the destitute, the homeless. And the, I, I don't know. I mean, patron saint of those people, that's, that's something incredible. That is. And uh, these are great miracles. And what's really cool is the miracles kept happening even after he died. Yeah, it sounds like he has a lot more than three. Yeah, oh no, it was continual. And then to me, even, uh, I mean, giving all his money away, going on like the hero's journey. Right, that's and, what I was thinking. And then all of a sudden uh, falling into the bishophood when nobody else would take the job. And, um, and not being martyred by the, by the bishophood. Yeah, they had a special word. I mean, that, you know, every other one... Had oh, been... he, they were called confessors. So he had elevated status when he went to, what you call it, the first ecumenical... Ecumenical. Ecumenical convention. Yeah, of Nicaea. Right? Of Nicaea, when they came up with the creed. <clears throat> so well, they, he was called also... a confessor. And that was because he didn't get martyred. Yeah, uh, because in Nicaea, the Council of Nicaea is what determined what is canon... Right, the future of Christianity yeah, was I mean, on the just, line there. Yeah, it was like which books are in, which books are out. Like the Book of Enoch was was pushed out and made made. Uh, uh, even the divinity of Christ was, was at debated. stake. Uh, was debated there. Yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, and there were like three hundred bishops there. Okay, but what was the one? How many of those bishops can you name? One, Nobody can. One. Yeah, that's one. the only one I can think of. Is Nicholas because he. Sissy slapped Arius, <laughs> and then he was also a confessor. Now, most people become saints through martyr because they were martyred, right? Somewhere or the other, back then, anyway. Yeah, especially. And like uh, uh, this guy it was the quality of his life <coughs> that uh, he became a saint. Yeah, because I mean, that, that was a very, it's interesting that he was there because in Christianity, you know, in, in the Catholic Church, that that is the one of the real defining moments of the history. 
Because again, that's where they decided, you know, what's in, what's out. Like the book of Enoch, for example, I think it is, became part of the Apocrypha, where they said, well, you know, this is great and all, but this is kind of dodgy, edgy. We're going to make that kind of over here. It may or may not be true. But they really set the foundation for Christianity going forward. Right. Yeah, and he, he was the man. He was actually in his 60s by then. I mean, uh, he was like Johnny on the spot everywhere. He was. He was like, uh, yeah, every time there was something happening in he the early there. Christian world, he was there. That's I mean, he's, right. he's buddies with Constantine, the That's first right. Holy Roman Emperor, you know? <coughs> because at, at that point, you know, the, the Roman Empire was fragmenting. That's why Constantine moved it to, you know, Constantinople. But he was, I mean, he was Johnny on the spot for that. Yeah, he was. He was uh, all, uh, he helped determine world events by his yeah. wizardry. Wizardry. And did you know that even after his death, uh, the miracles kept on happening? So uh, Nicholas is also known as the, uh, well, okay, uh, his main title is the wonder worker. Okay, I see that. Uh, that's uh, they call him the Wonder Worker, but he also has another nickname, and it's it's the Oyster Man. Okay. All right. <laughs> and you know how he got that? Obviously okay. not. <laughs> it's a hundred years after his death. Okay. Okay, and the church uh, was in ruins. They ended up there trying to rebuild the church, and uh, some fishermen. So the pirates had come in and ransacked the church and carried away everything, and uh, okay. the church was destroyed. And so they're trying to rebuild the church. This is 100 years after his death. Okay. And the fishermen are out in the Mediterranean fishing, and all of a sudden their net snagged on something, and they went to pull it up, and here it is, this mosaic icon of Nicholas, perfectly preserved, perfect shape, with the exception is uh, some errant mollusk had attached itself to, to the forehead of uh, Nicholas, okay? Okay. And so they said, well, there can't be too much problem prying this thing off. Well, this is like this uh, baloney, man. It's, it wants to stay there. It's stuck there. It's anchored. Yeah, so they're trying to pry that puppy off. And when they finally, it popped off, it caused a big split down the forehead. And it actually looked, uh, I've seen a picture of it, and it looked like blood, a big scar on the forehead. Okay. But you'll see pictures, and, and it's still there. You can go to the church, that church, and, uh, and see it. And see it. And uh, he's got this. All the pictures of uh, Nicholas, you see he's got this real pronounced forehead. Okay. Uh, and then you think, well, he's just really smart or something. But look more carefully. It's up here. It's kind of like Oyster, the Oyster Man. Okay. <laughs> that was a real weird one, huh? So, so the Church of Berna uh, flooded. You know, that Mediterranean rises and goes down. Right. At this point right now, uh, the ancient port city of uh, Myra is like a mile from the Mediterranean. Uh, but at uh, back in that time, 
It had risen so much, it flooded uh, the church. Totally flooded the church, filled it with silt. So uh, what they thought to do, and it's just like here in the mother load, uh, we had a problem with the flooding, and all we did was just build on top the old stuff. Right. And I think that's real common in, uh, like you have a holy site, you know how they're digging down doing archaeology. Well, there, and they, there's a very famous Templar fortress in Jerusalem. I think it's in Jerusalem. And they built on top of it so much that it's buried deep underground. But when you go down there, they had like stables and, it, you know, yeah. No, it's, it's, but like, I mean, it's, it's like generations oh, yeah. over centuries. It's like a strategic layers. City. That's yeah. right. So uh, in 1977, so that church in Myrna, that rebuilt one on top of the other one, right. uh, was abandoned in like 1923 or something like that. It's fallen into ruins. And so in the 1970s or something, they decide they're going to start excavating it or doing archaeological studies there. And then it was like in 1980-something that uh, it gotten sophisticated enough that they could do... Uh, Okay, uh, penetrating radar. Yeah, penetrating radar and found out there was another floor underneath the other floor. I mean, they found the church ruins the original one. The original ones. church. Okay. So, but it's, it takes a while to do this because, you know, I don't know if you've ever done archaeology. It's done with toothbrushes. Yeah, some, I tried to explain it when I did field work. I tried to explain to somebody that, you know, you're used to digging with a shovel. But when you're doing archaeology, you're digging with a toothbrush. Yeah, that's exactly what you did. So uh, they have this, like, mosaic floor, and they want to get up underneath this thing. Right. So, I mean, it took them a few years, all right? Sure. So in two, I, think it was, I think it was actually in 2017, they said, wow, we found the original church of Myra. Okay? okay. Now the search is on. They want to find Nicholas's tomb. All right. Okay. I mean, that's supposedly why they built the old church on top the old uh, new church on top of the old church. Right. Is to protect the the tomb. Right. Okay. So it's legendary, right? Oh, I missed this whole other part. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. We actually started with that at the very beginning, anyway. And. Um, so it wasn't until 2022 that they announced they had found Nicholas's tomb. And it, uh, now I already told you the story that at, back in them days, having a saint in your town, that was like a big deal. Huge. Huge deal. So uh, over there in Italy, uh, wait a minute, I think, does Venice have St. Paul? Who, who has um, somebody over and has yeah. some kind of fragment? Oh, yeah, when they do this grave robbing, uh, they uh, don't call it that they steal the bones. The bones were translated. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they don't even call them bones. They call them relics. Right, and they're stored in a reliquary. Right. So, um, so uh, they find Nicholas's tomb. But the thing about it is, is it's, it's empty, or almost empty. They found some fragments, okay. fragments of bones. So what happened to his bones? Okay, this was a smash and grab job. 
So uh, over there in Italy, there's a place called Bari. Right, we talked about that. Uh, yeah, and uh, so this was like the first crusade or something, I think, 10-something. Okay. And um, they went over, they said, hey, we need a saint in our town, so we're going to go over and get Nicholas. Okay. All right, so a ship went over there because they stopped there a lot because that was one of the main shipping port, sure. ports. And uh, so a group of 40 sailors dressed as pilgrims uh, raided the place, did a smashing crab. Oh, and they say when they smashed into the tomb, it was filled with liquid. And that was the myrrh, the healing fluid. Right. Of, uh, yeah, you were saying that they would dump water through the top, the holes in the top. Right. And collect the fluid on the bottom. Yeah. And that was already a legend uh, back then. And then when they finally got the bones over to Bari, uh, it started secreting stuff again. And they said, hallelujah. And they did. They... Uh, um, uh, a group of scientists were allowed to examine the bones and the fragments that, uh, yeah, Nicholas got so famous that uh, it was one of the apostles they had over there in Venice, some kind of fragment, but uh, they were jealous of Nicholas. <laughs> so they had to have a fragment of Nicholas as well. But when the scientists came in and did studies, right. uh, you know, did the workup on it, uh, the bone in Venice is doubtful. But when they compared the fragments that they found uh, in the t left over in the tomb of uh, uh, Nicholas, uh, you know, the authentic one, yeah, and compared it to the bones in Bari, it was a pretty good match. It wasn't totally conclusive, but it was from... Close enough. Yeah, it was close enough that... And, and then I was pretty cool about when they finally... Um, uh, did a workup of the guy and what he looked like. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah, I mean, you know what spurred me is because everybody got all upset because they came out with a black Santa in a wheelchair ornament. Right. Uh, and, uh, and then it made me think, well, is, was Santa this rosy-cheeked guy with the... Uh, not, if he's from, not if he's from Turkey. No, he was like this... Uh, what they, what the lady said, that was a forensic lady said, says he was uh, like somebody that would have been a boxer, or had a physique of like uh, he was he was short, but he was stocky guy that he uh, had a physique that uh, a boxer or a bouncer in a nightclub or something would have. It's like wow. muscular guy that you didn't want to mess with, right? Wow. And uh, especially with the broken nose. Yeah, you know, yeah, that and, must have been uh, yeah, and he was balding with the tall forehead and the big white beard, and uh, I'm trying to find a photo. Yeah, you're you're visualizing it for me. I, I want to see. All right. <laughs> so he finally uh, he was buried in uh, 343. He was 73 years old. You know, for that time period. That age is pretty impressive. And he's just venerated everywhere. And you can go visit his tomb, and people do. But the thing about it is, is that this guy was uh, such a... And the reason why I think we have Cinder Claus, Santa Claus here, 
is because uh, the Dutch, you know, they came over and created New Amsterdam. That's where all that came from, you know? Right. And uh, guess who's uh, the big patron saint over there? St. Nicholas. I'm telling you, he's like everywhere. He's everywhere. He's like Johnny on the spot for like massive moments. In, and in his history. impact is worldwide. And, uh, and I told you that they think that they have bones everywhere, right? Everybody wants to yeah, claim Yeah, you were saying even the United States. United States, Ireland, um, all over the world. Uh, as a matter of fact, so small bones... Uh, yeah, there was like a cult of St. Nicholas or something. It was dispersed across, across Western Europe. Uh, allegedly, one tooth and two fragments chips from Nicholas' sarcophagus was given to uh, one of the uh, Norman Crusader knights. Yeah. And uh, then they uh, took him to their hometown in Normandy and then for somehow or another, they ended up in Ireland. Um, they won't let uh, anybody dig up that one to check uh, to see if those bones, because they can test the bones well, now. The DNA still in there. Right. Yeah, the big headline read, Santa Claus is found. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> when they uh, found it. So I guess that's my story. And today, uh, Santa Claus is uh, worldwide in different incarnations. It's we true. call him Papa Noel, Father Christmas, uh, but all the basics are there. Yeah, it's uh, universal. Yeah. Uh, the, and I think one of the reasons is because he became the patron uh, saint of, of uh, semen. Right. And they just took it all over the world. Yeah, because you were saying that they, they have... There's an icon of Icons. Nicholas on the uh, space station. Yeah, that's interesting. And it'd be unusual, like in any kind of ship, airplane, um, that there wouldn't be one. It'd be more often than not that you would uh, see one. That's... <clears throat> I had no idea. <laughs> All right, that's, that's my deep dive. Into uh, that's that's a deep dive, Dave. <laughs> no, I, I had no idea. So, uh, give me another one of your little tidbits. I'm trying. Let's see here. Okay, uh, Russians go wild for Christmas tide. As far as uh, let's see. Here. As far as Christmas traditions around the world go, Russia has plenty, from swapping Santa Claus for Father Frost to a meatless Christmas Eve feast. But none no more fascinating than the country's celebration of Christmas tide hailed as the most unholy time of the year. In Russia? Yeah. Svidyakti, uh, as Russians call it, runs from the uh, Russian Orthodox Christmas Eve. Oh, it got cut off. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, so, you know, um, Krampus uh, is, you know, Santa's evil twin, and right. it comes from there. Krampus, you know, it means claw. 
It's, you know, a, cra a, a crampon that you use when you're doing the rock climbing and stuff, the crampon. Uh, that's, it means claw. And that's, so uh, St. Nicholas died on December the 6th. That was his uh, saint day. So uh, he died at th uh, on, in the year 343, December 6th. And uh, December 5th is when the uh, Krampus goes around and checks out everybody in the German culture. Yeah, I have a thing on the Krampus. <clears throat> trying to find it. Okay, well, just shoot me any of them. Well, I know, I'm trying. They're all out of sequence now. <laughs> you dropped them all over the floor. I did. Okay, here we go. Uh, as the threat of missing out on presents wasn't bad enough, Austrian kids who end up on Santa's naughty list have to worry about Krampus, a horned, hairy beast that snatches misbehaving children in his wicker basket, serving as St. Nicholas's creepy enforcer. Many towns in Austria and neighboring countries, especially in Alpine villages of Salzburg and Tyrol, uh, celebrate Krampusnacht, on December 5th, when dozens of men dressed as half-goat demon, as the half-goat demon parade through the streets, brandishing sticks and terrorizing children. Oh, yeah, no, it's turned into a big drunken brawl. Uh, I've I actually seen videos of them, and some of them guys are ugly. Oh, it's bad. I mean, I got the Dr. Seuss version of uh, Krampus, but I had the furry uh suit and the whole bit and uh you know i think it was um who's over in amsterdam they uh it uh santa claus or father christmas saint nicholas comes in on a ship not on a sleigh and uh he's just always with black pete oh, here's another one frau per perchta frau perchta is a witch who comes to see who has been naughty or nice, she slits the bellies of bad children and stuffs their corpses with straw. Straw rocks, yeah. It's sort of like uh, Santa bringing coal, but with disembowelment instead. <laughs> yeah, boy, some of them get pretty frightening. And that's Austria and Bavaria. And it come to find out, so Ishmael Reed, the poet Ishmael Reed, saw that and said, you know, first thought, how racist, because it's uh, Black Pete, it's somebody in blackface. But all the children don't like Nicholas so much because he was, they make him all solemn. He parades right. through town uh, on, on a horse, white horse, looking all proud. And then Black Pete dancing all around, throwing out candy and doing little jokes and tweaking kids' noses and stuff. Here's another one. Hans, Tri Hans Trapp, and this is Alsatian, so from Alsace-Lorraine. In France, according to Alsatian lore, Hans Tripp was a local man renowned for his greed and unscrupulousness. He is witchcraft and deals with the devil to become rich. After being excommunicated from the Catholic Church, he lost his wealth and good standing. He took to roaming the countryside dis disguised as a scarecrow. At some point, Hans Tropp became consumed with the idea of tasting human flesh. He lured a shepherd boy to his death then cooked him over a fire. Before Hans Trapp 
to take his first bite, however, God, finally feeling that things had gone too far, struck him with lightning. As Hans Trapp died, oh, sorry, Hans Trapp died, but some, but he returned sometimes on Christmas to go door to door, looking for young, tasty children. So be good for goodness' <clears throat> sake, huh? The Kalitz Kadzari, Greece, Bulgaria, Serbia, and Turkey. The Kalitzari are goblins who spend most of the year underground trying to bring about the apocalypse. <clears throat> During Advent, they come out onto human territory and ca- cause mischief and evil. They are sometimes described as black furry creatures with tusks and horns. <clears throat> Did you hear about the Siberian uh, mushroom-eating shamans that ride reindeer and give out gifts up I don't in know Siberia? That one. And the uh, the mushrooms are uh, the Amanita muscarias. They're red with white spots. Oh right. And uh, that's so, actually good luck in in Italy. You put them on your tree. Yeah. Well, that that was uh, supposedly you. Uh, the shamans would put them, hang them from the tree to dry them, because you harvest them and then you go deliver them during the winter. And then everybody's high, and they think the reindeer is flying around because reindeer is very sacred. Okay, here's one. Uh, the the Knecht Ruprecht, the legend of, of Knecht Ruprecht has two different beginnings. The first one, that he was a wild child but was found and raised by St. Nicholas. The second version is that he was a farmhand prior to becoming St. Nicholas's assistant. Just like Belschnickel Knecht Ruprecht, would also carry around a switch. Uh, he helped Aunt St. Nicholas by going to each child's house and asking their parents if they had been good or bad for that year. If their parents said they were bad, Necht Ruprecht would use the switch on them as punishment. Necht Ruprecht is described as wearing a brown or black robe with a pointed hood. He is also seen carrying a staff and a bag of ashes. Yeah, you know, uh, just think of all the different cultures that do have... Uh, Santa's evil twin, uh, whether it's called Bell's Nickel or Black Pete or um, uh, some of them other names that you couldn't even pronounce. Uh, they all have, but you know, my image of Nick, uh, he could take care of himself. I mean, uh, he yeah, didn't no, need, he, he looked pretty tough. Yeah, he didn't need that evil twin to uh, intercede. Yeah. And then always could enjoy a good joke, too. And uh, you can't, uh, he wasn't all that solemn either. Okay, here you go. <clears throat> the the Grilla <clears throat> in, in Iceland, there's a very frightening myth of the Grilla who is said to be a mountain troll with hooves and feet and has 13 tails. Every Christmas when she leaves the mountain, she looks for children who have been naughty. When she finds them, she kidnaps them by stuffing them into a bag and brings them back to her cave and boils them alive and eats them as a stew. She is always in a bad mood because she is constantly hungry. The legend of, of Grilla dates back to the ancient pagan time period. It is also believed that her sinister ways are not only felt by children, but also men. She had three husbands. Two of them were she killed just because she was bored with them. And that's not all. She also had 13 children, all boys, who are just as frightening as she is. They are known as the Yule Lads. Oh, yeah, the Yule Lads. You kind of talked about them a little bit uh, before. Yeah, I've actually heard that story. There's a Krampus. 
<laughs> I look up the Tomei, the Nisa. Uh, that was some kind of little troll, looked like a garden gnome guy, dressed in a red cap with a long white beard. And uh, he'd be handed on. Actually, what it was is uh, it had to be transactional. That's why you leave the milk and cookies out. Yeah, Nisa, Tomti, is a mythical creature from Nordic folklore, uh, today typically associated with the winter solstice and the Christmas season. They are generally described as being short, having a long white beard, and wearing a conical or knit cap in gray, red, or some other bright color. They are often have the appearance somewhat similar to the garden gnome. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was more like a trick-or-treat thing, or, hey, I'll, I'll leave you. It was like mutual gift-giving. It had to be yeah. transactional. That's why you left out, uh, they particularly like milk and well, cookies, they, they say that sweets and milk. They say that every, every Scandinavian household has a gnome, oh, like right. a house gnome that messes around with you and steals your keys, and that's what this is. Yeah, I, I I got something like that at my oh, house. I definitely have one. Never find the keys. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you a really crazy story one of these days. All right. <laughs> one of these days. Why? How long How long do we have? 11 minutes. All right. Well, maybe not tonight, huh? No, not tonight. <laughs> so uh, what, what do you have? To, do you have any I don't, New Year's resolutions or something to look forward to? What? Uh, let's say, how about the Enigma Hour for next year? What direction well, would you like to take it? You know, I, I'd like to get more guests. Uh, I'd like to get people to call, actually call in. Um, but I think a more guests, you know, from the area, but also, you know, from the world. Yeah, some of the best times I've had. Yeah. Thinking back, going down memory lane. <laughs> right. Uh, we've As had we the horror hosts. Guy, I really got off on that because he was Mr. so knowledgeable Lobo. in uh, Mr. Mr. Lobo yeah. with uh, Miss Mittens. Was Miss that? Mittens, that's right. No, I think I think uh, guests, you know, more guests would be good. I think, you know, we've done we've done the show. We've had Walter Bosley live, Alan. and and what was uh, uh, Mariah Myla? What was her name? The Oh, Melina. Melina, what's her last name? I forget. Oh, she's actually famous in her own right. I've seen some of her videos where she was studying anomalies over in Ireland. Oh, yeah. uh, But like I said, you know, we've we've done the show for a few months, and, you know, people seem to like it. And, and, you know, when I was over at the the bingo, the person sitting next to me listens to the show. So I want to kind of expand it, get more guests on. You know, uh, we had the uh, MK Ultra uh, oh, mind control person. Yeah, but more more of that. At least, you know, at least once or oh, twice. Oh, we had someone discussing the Black Brother Brotherhood. Yeah, that and was come to find field. out, uh, him and I had more in common than I thought. Yes. I remember you telling me at the be uh, me telling you. I says, you know, I'm not that knowledgeable on this stuff. But when he Turns started talking, yeah, yeah, uh, because. Um, I just saw it from a slightly different angle, and him and I had a lot in common. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah, I've I've attended the COG and the OTO, yeah. and uh, but I, I think also you know trying to get more into the into the community, 
you know, I'm gonna we're gonna work with yeah, we're gonna go uh, haunted house hunting. haunted house hunting. Um, you know, do some pre-recorded shows in, in haunted or mystical locations. You know, we talked about doing that, but also I think you know, getting out in the community more. I'm gonna try to do that with Bingo Hour and the movies, and you know, get us out there more. Nimza NimzaCon 2.0. And we could big. actually go visit some of these, like, I don't know if you call them sacred sites. Of but course. Table Mountain. Oh, yeah. Actually be there. Yaya Lee's Bones. Hey, wouldn't it be great to have somebody lead us through the labyrinth? Absolutely. Uh, that would be so, uh, cool. Huh? You know, I think also building out the website, you know, it's taken it's taken a little while to get everything working right. You know, I... And also, uh, during these shows, we're assembling our content. Absolutely. But, you know, the listeners, you know, you guys make it worth it. You know, I know there are a lot of people listening, and, you know, it it kind of, I don't know. I, you know, I come down here at 10 o'clock at night. I get home about 1230 in the morning, you know, and I don't get a whole lot of sleep on Thursday nights. Yeah, I have to be back on air 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. I have to be online at 5 a.m. But it makes, you know, knowing, you, you know, you guys are listening and, you know, it makes it worth it. Yeah, didn't you say you just, uh, hey, yeah. So me too, it was like a week or so ago. And the guy goes, yeah, I uh, downloaded, I was listening to an episode. Yeah. He was like, I fancy running into you. I was just listening to an episode. And then I felt. You feel, you feel really good yeah. about it. Like it's, it's making a difference. But I, I think my big. New Year's resolution for the show is to really build out the Weird Tuolumne Visitors Bureau. I think it's, I think it'll be good. Because, you know, right now, if you type in Weird Tuolumne, we're number one. And there's nothing on that site, and we're number one. (laughs) People are in anticipation. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's good stuff. And I I think that people want to know. I know people around here, you know, every time I get to talking to someone, oh, yeah, I've got a radio show, you know, me and Captain Dave, you know. And, they, I mean, there was a lady at, at Bingo. She literally added the podcast in front of me and got all excited. Yeah, I told you when I stopped to get my drink on my way up here, and um, the, she wanted to know if I was going to work or coming from work. And I said, well, actually, kind of neither. I'm going to go talk on the radio. And she goes, oh, DJ? And I said, no, this is... The Enigma Hour, and her eyes got wide, right. and she said, "What? What's the uh, numbers so I can listen?" Yeah, and people it get excited. Piques people's interest. And one of the things that I want to do is not only you know have the articles and the locations, but you know we're talking about putting together a guidebook, but also you know to have something simple that's like one page front and back, you know, from the Weird Tuolumne Visitors Bureau that tells you, hey, where to go. Because, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff here, but nobody really catalogs it. And I think that's really what we're shooting for. So if, if I had, personally, if I had to make one big New Year's resolution for next year for the show, it's to really build out the website and really, you know, highlight the the strangeness that is Tuolumne County. Because I hear all about all these other places, whether it's Ashland or Portland or, you know, whatever. I, Everybody, but nobody. Yeah, and they're they small potatoes compared to the. Uh, and everybody knows, but they don't like connect the dots. So I want to be James Burke and connect the dots. All right. uh, connections. That's well, I, I think uh, my resolution has come pretty close to that. Yeah, 
I think, you know, we've talked about it a lot, and I think we've, you know. I mean, to let you know how I think that the interest is there is they have, what is it called now? It's called Listen Notes, or yeah, it's, it's a... Talking um, Notes or something like that. Yeah, it's the one who keeps track over all the podcasts worldwide. I think they keep... Uh, track of like 9 million podcasts yep. worldwide or something and they rate them yep. and right away enigma hour went up we're in the top five percentile boom yeah, and that, that really shocked not me. to brag or anything but that surprised me too yeah people are hungry for this kind of content i think so i think so and you know it like i said more guests from the from the area but also just around i mean there's there's a lot of interesting people doing a lot of interesting research and i want to I want to kind of highlight that because you know this this show you know we fumble around and you know we're not the it's not super professional i think that's part of his charm i think it's, it's part of it's, it's homegrown and, it, and it's authentic and legit we really are interested in this stuff so yeah and you won't uh see me get too wild i always try to bring it down as far out as i am i always try to bring it down to earth don't i no you do great you're you're a great co-host all right well that's it on that note if you're going to end on a great note just this mutual admiration society (laughs) And, and and admiration for our listeners yeah you know just just keep listening good things are coming i promise but our next show will be in the new year our next show will be... So this is year. our last show of the year. It is. Next week it'll so be... So from year. all of us to, all to of you me. and yours, <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas and have a uh, weird New Year. Yeah. Happy Yule. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. I'm missing a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Just happy holidays to everybody and, and thanks for listening to it. Generic term. Cover all term. Yeah, cover there you go. But, you know, thanks for listening. We, we really do appreciate you. And, and definitely email us, Olav, at weirdtuolumi.com. Jadavalsa. Dave at weirdtuolumi.com. And, you know, let us know what you want to hear. And I'd like to start getting people to call in. So oh, yeah, we take them. requests. Yeah, we definitely Hey, do you requests. remember when we opened the spirit box to the spirit world? That's right. And we actually uh, said... Okay, the request line is open, and you yeah, had your spirit started, box, yeah, they started and they started calling, calling in. in. That was hilarious. Haven't heard that anywhere else, huh? No, only on this. All right. Well, anyway, with that said, uh, you know, happy holidays, everybody. Uh, stay safe and have a wonderful New Year.